The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 26 The Daughter of the Reaper Euricity pulled Paris's chin up to look at her eye. It had stopped swelling, and there was a deep purple bruise beneath it. Her lip was cut, and he held up her hands. Her knuckles bled just a little from the scrapes and marks that peppered them. She was ten years old. One more time. What happened? asked Euricity. Hector, Paris, Alan, and Poe all began to talk at the same time, but the general idea of what they were trying to say came through despite the confusion. Paris had been in a fight. Some of the boys from town had been teasing her about her clothes. They had called her a freak, just like her mother. So, according to the story, it was Paris that started the fight. She had punched the boy who said it in the mouth, and his friends came to help him, but they didn't get far. Paris fought them on her own, as Poe ran to get Hector. She had already knocked three of them down, broken one of their arms, and was facing down the last boy when Poe returned with Hector. But instead of helping Paris, Hector stepped between her and the last boy, facing her down in his defense. Eddie, get out of my way! Calm down. You're going to get us all in trouble if Luke finds out you've been fighting. I don't care. They called me a freak, and they said Luke is my mother. Now I'm going to make them eat dirt, like they deserve. Luke is our mother, Hector said. Paris dropped her fighting stance. He is not. Yes, he is. Not that it makes what they said right. It only makes it correct. Get out of my way, Eddie, or I will make you eat dirt too. Paris had tears in her eyes as she yelled at Hector. You think you can? Hector shifted into a fighting position. Well then, let's see what you've learned. He held his hand out and beckoned her forward. She flew at him. He grabbed her first punch, spun her around, pinned her arms together, picked her up, and put her on his shoulders. Paris kicked and yelled, trying to get free of his grasp. But there was no way she was getting out of this. She was caught. Hector turned to the boy Paris had been fighting. You tell anyone about this, or you ever say anything again she doesn't like, and I will beat you down myself. Then I'll let her beat you down some more. Hector left the boy there and threw Paris into the back of the cart that had once held the boxing ring. While listening to their story, Eurysthe pulled a bottle of the strongest gin they had out of a cabinet. Then he retrieved a fresh towel from a drawer in the kitchen and began to treat the cuts on Paris's knuckles. He then wrapped her fists in a cloth bandage. Eurysthe once again held Paris's chin up till she was looking at him in the eye. Thanks for coming to my defense, kid. But I can do that on my own. Next time, I don't need you to start a fight on my account. But I did it, said Paris. I saw the path. I predicted their movements. It was easy. You what? Eurysthe stood and looked for his husband, Orpheus. Orpheus was sitting in his chair, trying not to look at him. He knew Paris hadn't intended to give away their secret, 
Paris had told him not to tell Eurystheus about teaching her to fight, but he knew some day the secret would come out. Lee, questioned Eurystheus. Luke, before we say anything we regret, I want you to remember that you love me, Orpheus explained as he stood from his chair. Do I? Eurystheus snapped at Paris's oldest brother. You're in charge. Lee, barn, now. Eurystheus yelled at his husband, then stomped out of the kitchen through the family room and slammed the door behind him. Paris looked up at Orpheus. Sorry, Dad. Don't worry about me. Obey your brother. I'll be right back. I hope, Orpheus said with a bit of a laugh in his voice. His joke eased the tension in the children, but as he left, he grabbed his satchel from the hook on the door. Orpheus was already playing his harmonica as he entered the barn. He was playing The Sun Rises the Next Day. It usually had a calming effect, and it was one of Eurystheus' favorites, but today it didn't seem to be working. Orpheus saw him, waiting in the ring, pacing back and forth. Put that goddamn thing away! It's not gonna work this time! Eurystheus fumed. Orpheus put his harmonica back in his satchel, took the satchel from his shoulder, and set it on the ground. Luke, give me time to explain. Time to explain what? How you went behind my back? How you did exactly the thing you told me you wouldn't? How you lied to me? This is not time for explanations, Lee. It's time to fight. That's why I'm standing in this ring, so we can have a fight. Now get in the ring. I'm not going to fight you. Why not? You fight everyone else. You fight with the sheriff. You fight with Edgar. And I know you've been working with Alan and Poe. But the one thing we agreed on is that you would leave Anna out of this. You said you wouldn't teach her that fighting was a way out of her problems. We agreed that one person in this family wouldn't grow up with the violence the rest of us know. She's my daughter. She is not the Colorado kid. She could be, if that's what she wanted to be. She's ten! I was three when they began teaching me how to fight. You were ten when you picked up your first gun, and Edgar was eight when I began training him. She's too young. This isn't some Lee family rite of passage. I didn't start teaching her because I thought it was time. I started teaching her because she wanted to learn. It was her decision. And if I didn't teach her, then the boys were going to, and they were teaching her wrong. That was going to get her in trouble. Anna has a strong will. She will be who she wants to be. Luke, I know she won't be me. But that's not what you're afraid of, is it? You're afraid she'll be you. After all, she dresses like you. She follows you around. She watches you constantly. She mimics your movements. And she curses when you're not there to scold her. I have no fear that she will want to be the Colorado kid. It's not my path she's following. It's yours. Fuck you! Fuck you for thinking you can turn this on me! I am not! going to drag her through the life I had. I am not going to train up another reaper. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that she will be who she wants to be. You of all people should know. You can't force her to be someone else. Stop looking at what you think she should be and look at who she is. We all know what life should be. 
We can read about it in books. We can hear stories from other people. But none of us have ever lived that life. None of us ever wanted to. Why are you trying to force it on her? Orpheus stopped for a moment, giving Eurystheus time to contemplate this. I know who she is. Do you? Come with me. We've given them enough time to find trouble again. Let's see what they're up to. Orpheus and Eurystheus left the barn. He heard laughter from the other side of the main house. Assuming they had wandered off to have fun, he did not check inside to see if they were still there. Staying quiet and close to the house for cover, the two of them snuck to the back to spy on the children. Poe was sitting on a fence playing a guitar. Alan was keeping score, as Hector and Paris were throwing knives at a tree. There was a mark on the tree, and they were trying to get closest to it. She missed her throw, and Hector laughed at her. She kicked him in the shins, and he smacked her in the head, pushing her away as he took his turn. The knife flew true, and hit very near the mark. Paris ran to retrieve the two knives, and ran back. "'My turn!' she yelled. "'And no cheating!' she added. This time her throw was better. The first knife hit the tree a little far from the mark. She did not give the second knife to Hector. She threw it as well, hitting the mark dead center. "'I win!' she yelled. "'It was my turn!' complained Hector. "'I still win!' Paris exclaimed. "'No, since it was my turn, I won!' Hector claimed. Eurystheus leaned against the house. He saw it. He knew Orpheus was right. He wasn't going to tell him, though. He probably didn't need to. But he was right. He turned to Orpheus, put his hand on the back of his head, and pulled him in. He kissed him, showing him that he was forgiven. I understand, said Eurystheus. But you know fighting is not enough. She doesn't have the strength the others will. She doesn't have the reach, and she doesn't have the weight behind her. You've taught her enough to get her in trouble. Now, it's my responsibility. What are you going to do? asked Orpheus. You taught her how to start a fight. She needs to know how to end one. Eurystheus peeked around the corner again, to see what they are doing now. Hector had his eyes covered, and he was facing the tree, counting in a loud voice. Paris, Poe, and Alan ran in all directions, looking for a place to hide. Eurystheus smiled as he watched Paris crawl under the porch of the main house. Hector stopped counting and announced in a loud voice that he was coming. Then he wandered off to the pasture, not taking any time to look for any of them. Eurystheus was going to have to talk to him about that later. He walked over to the porch where he knew Paris was hiding. Sitting on the edge, he dangled his legs over the gap between the stairs and the railing. He had seen her crawl through. He waited for a moment. Then he felt a tug on his boots. I'm sorry, Luke, Paris said from beneath the porch. Are you still mad at me? I was never mad at you. I know I shouldn't have lied, but I didn't want you to be mad at me. How about we make a deal between me and you? Just... Me and you. No matter what, between us, there will never be anger. You can tell me anything you want, and I will tell you anything you want to know. Neither of us will ever get mad. Luke, are you my mother? asked Paris. Eurystheus laid down on the porch, 
hung his head over the edge and around, so that he could see Paris hiding beneath the steps. In Paris's view, Eurycity was upside down, and she giggled. Who did you think I was? Dad's husband? Well, that certainly is true. That is, in fact, how I became your mother. So, you weren't originally my mother? No, I was that, too. How? Only girls can have children. That's mostly true. But not all boys are born the same. I was born in a girl's body, and everyone insisted I was one. I didn't become a boy until later, when I was about your age, in fact. So you're really a girl? Paris asked, looking flabbergasted. Only technically. If everyone told you that you were a girl, how did you know that they were wrong? Hard to say. I just felt it. I knew who I was, and I wasn't who they thought. I hated dresses, needlework, cooking, and everything else about being a girl for as long as I can remember. How'd you become a boy, then? That's a long story, and not one for today. But the shorter answer is, I had to fight for it, in more ways than one. I just didn't feel comfortable any other way. No one saw me for who I was, or asked me who I was to be. So, I'm asking you now. What about you? Do you want to be a boy? No, I like being a girl. I know, we really haven't bought you a lot of girl things. Would you like to go to town, see if we can't buy you a dress or something nice? Do I have to wear a dress? I can't fight in a dress. I can't really ride properly in one either. I like my pants. Do I have to wear a dress to be a girl? Paris asked. Eurysthe held out his hands for Paris to grab. She still had the bandages around her knuckles, and they were already dirty. He pulled her from beneath the porch. She slid through the dirt as he picked her up and set her on her feet. She laughed as he dusted her off a little. Then he said, No. You can be anything you want to be. Some asshole may tell you differently. If they do, you have my permission to kick them in the balls. What if they don't have balls? Paris laughed. You kick them anyways, just to be sure, Eurycity said as he checked the bandages around her hands. Anna, what would you like to be? I want to be a gunslinger like you. Why? Because you protected Dad. You protected Eddie. We get to have fun because we know that if anything really terrible were to happen, you would be there to stop it. I want to do that, too. I want to be able to protect the people I love. I was afraid you were going to say that. Then you won't teach me? No. I was afraid you were going to say that because now I will teach you. Come with me. Eurysthe led Paris to his and Orpheus's bedroom. It was sparse, with no decorations on the wall. There was a bed, just slightly big enough for two people, and a bedside table. On it sat the Bible Eurystice's mother had left behind. In the corner of the room, there were two rifles leaning against the wall. Next to them was a crate filled with ammo. There was a dresser, and on it was a gun that had been torn to pieces. Each tiny piece laid out carefully so that it could be put back together. Eurystice opened the top drawer and pulled out a box. Holding it with both hands, 
He sat down, cross-legged, in the middle of the room. He had Paris do the same, facing him. He set the box between them. Go ahead. Open it. Eurystice instructed. Paris opened the box. Inside, wrapped in a cotton rag spotted with gun oil, was the single-action army pistol that had been Eurystice's father's. Paris unwrapped it and held it. It was heavy for her, but she felt excited to hold it. Now, that is a single-action revolver. That means, to fire it, you have to pull back the hammer. If you just pull the trigger, nothing will happen. Like this. Eurystice leaned over and cocked the hammer of the gun. Now, point it at the wall. Paris did. Go ahead, pull the trigger. Paris pulled the trigger. The hammer fell, and the gun made a loud click sound. We're going to have to buy some ammo for that. I haven't used a revolver in years. But this one was once my favorite. Now it's yours, if you want it. Yes, please, Paris said, jumping forward and hugging him. He felt the cold metal tap his back during the hug, and he wondered if he was doing the right thing, in spite of her joy. Where did you get it? Paris asked, as she sat back down. It was once my father's. Where did he get it? Same place he got everything. He killed a man for it. Euricity touched Paris gently on the chin and pulled her gaze up from the gun so that she was looking him in the eyes when he said, Listen, this isn't like boxing. If you pull this weapon, you don't do it casually. If you have to point this at someone, you have to be prepared to kill them. You and your brothers and your father and the sheriff they play around all day fighting each other in that stupid ring. But this is not that. I have seen men die from a single shot to the hand. I have seen a stray lose its way across a city and kill a woman who had no idea there was a battle going on. I have seen a shot pass through one man and kill the man standing behind him. One bullet is all it takes. So you never use this to end a fight with your brothers. This is only to protect them. Are we agreed? Yes. All right, then. Eurystice stood, opened the ammo crate, grabbed a small box of ammo, then took the smaller of the rifles from the corner of the room. Come on. It's time for your first lesson. Luke? Yeah, kid. Can I call you Mom? Luke looked down at his little girl, bandaged and dirty, who was already fighting to defend the difficult path he walked. He sighed and replied, If you must, but only when we're alone. Thanks, Mom, said Paris. Eurystice immediately regretted that. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse. Written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. Except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you. <laughs>